Hi, and welcome to Rick Fry in Real Time. We are brought to you by Oneness Ministries and Stream Grace Network. I'm so excited to introduce my guest that I, I thought about this guy for a long time. And I, I told, told him last night, I said, finally, I just got the courage to send him an email. And he's somebody you should know, Preston Gillum. It's the only email I got, I got that week, right? <laughs> <laughs> Preston is a, an author. Yeah. He's a uh, certified professional business life, coach. Business coach. Yeah. And um, avid outdoorsman. And, an, and stunningly handsome. Smart, Rugged, debonair. Ruggedly Rug- handsome. Yes, yes, <laughs> long, long as we're making stuff up. Because <laughs> that's what I go for. I go for ruggedly handsome. Yeah. Um, we spent the day. I can't believe we spent the day. Yep. Well, you did. Fishing. Yep. Lower Mountain Fork. Lower Mountain Fork here in Broken Bow, Oklahoma. Yes. How was it? It was a ball. It was really a lot of fun, and uh, I fished here before, but we had a guide today. Yeah, and Cody, 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 Cody Thomas, and that was yeah. a huge help. Works out of uh, uh, Beaver's Bend Fly Shop, I, I think is what it's called. Yes, and uh, it's either that or Broken Bow Fly Shop. Anyway, I'm going to interrupt you. All right, over there, doing sound, is Don Harrison. You can't see him on camera. But he's waving at us. There we go. <laughs> he spent the day fishing as well. If this doesn't go well, it's his fault. It is. <laughs> <laughs> he just gave us a timeout. <laughs> so you spent the day yeah, on the river. So and... we had a great guide, and yep. uh, so th- this is a really an interesting river. I mean, it's uh, it's the it was originally the Mountain Fork. Mm-hmm. And we're over in eastern Oklahoma, southeastern Oklahoma, deep yes. southeastern Oklahoma. Yes. And my granddad, who uh, lived about an hour and a half up the road or so in Poto, Oklahoma. You told me that my uncle mm-hmm. was the, the um, he was over all the he was school district. Oh, really? Yeah, superintendent T- of schools. Yeah, superintendent of school. T.C. Bear was his name. I'll be yeah. in Poto. In Poto, Floor County. Yeah, I'll be. Yeah. Well, anyway, my granddad, uh, he, he's dead, but he was born December 5th, ni- uh, 1900 in Poto Indian Territory. Wow. So Oklahoma wasn't even a state yet. And granddaddy fly fished all these creeks up and down eastern, the eastern Oklahoma. Now, what were so, the rods made of? Uh, bamboo. They were bamboo. Yeah, and yeah. I, have his, uh, I have a couple of his rods in my study at, at home. And a picture of him, as a matter of fact, in, on one of these little creeks that he would fish, the oh. Fush Moline, or for all I know, the Mountain Fork. Yeah. And he's got a stringer of pan fish and his fly rod and his hat with his flies in it and his cigarette. <laughs> and he's been in a float tube. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, but back, I think around, I think in the 50s, uh, whoever's in charge of such things, mm-hmm. dammed up the Mountain Fork. Yes created Broken Bow Lake, and then somebody decided uh, uh, many years ago, a number of years ago, 
uh, to see if they could get trout to live in the lower mountain fork, the, the, the river that's below the dam. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, the water coming out of the bottom of the lake is cold. Cold, yes. And anyway, long story short, they were not just successful, they were wildly successful. That's, that's amazing. It's amazing. It's and the so place they, in the state, isn't it, that has trout? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, it's the only trout water close. Yeah. And, and furthermore, then, once they got the trout to live, then they came in and modified the river in places. And so they have created 12 miles of perfect river. Wow. So it's it's quite remarkable. Yeah. And I'm an Okie born and bred. I, I live in Fort Worth, Texas now. Yeah. But I'm proud of my I'm proud of my home state. They did a great job. And so yes, we had a, a lot of fun. We caught all rainbows, I think. Uh Don, did you catch anything other than a rainbow? Yeah. yeah. There's some other stuff in there, but uh, it was all rainbow trout today. And they were they were uh, most of them were about this big. We're getting time out again. <laughs> yeah. And I got some stuff to tell you about this book I wrote too, Rick. <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about your background, um, your education, and um, what what you do, what you've done. Yeah. So I, this is actually my home part of the state. I, I graduated high school in Durant, which is about an hour and a half west of here. You said it right. Um, yeah, it's supposed to be Durant. <laughs> but uh, anyway, graduated high school there, started college at Southeastern Oklahoma State, what is now university. Mm -hmm. And then as a junior in college, I transferred to what is now Missouri State University. At the time, it was Southwest Missouri State. And I got my undergrad degree there in antiquities, uh, ancient history. And so I uh, learned about the Sumerians and the Akkadians and the Egyptians and the Isra Israelites and, and so forth. And uh, got about 100 years, uh, or went into about 100 AD in the Roman Empire. And then wow. we would stop and, and study, you know, go back to something else. And... Um, then I decided I would uh, pursue my master's in ancient history and did that and they wanted me to learn to read a couple of uh, hieroglyphic languages and I decided I didn't want to know that much about it. And uh, meanwhile, my dad and I were dabbling in a partnership together where we were uh, discipling people uh, mm -hmm. in the Christian faith and so uh, when I bailed out of the grad program in antiquities, I completely switched gears and went and did my grad work in counseling, hmm. guidance and counseling. And after I graduated from that, then Dad and I went into partnerships together. It's, uh, we kind of drifted into that a little bit, mm -hmm. but it was roughly 1979, 1980, and um, we, uh, had a great we had a great run and then in 1981 here again we kind of drifted into this but in 1981 we had the opportunity to move to Fort Worth Texas and specialize our work to deal only with uh, to counsel only with Christian vocational workers so uh, ministers of music pastors seminary people missionaries and so forth and his, uh, his dad was Dr. Bill Gillum by yeah. the way yeah, 
and uh, then by then mom has joined the the team so we're a, tr a trio now Annabelle and uh, <clears throat> then mid in the mid 80s then uh, dad and I decided we were tired of counseling and so we began to refer people away mm -hmm. for, for most of that mm -hmm. and we wrote a couple of books we decided we would do radio work and uh, so w we did that and of course when that happened then that called for a bunch of staff and dad didn't really have any interest in that and I found that I liked that really? and I, I liked I liked like managing people I liked management Wow and so uh, the folks and I didn't really realize it at the time but when we kind of made this decision in the middle 80s that this is what we were going to do uh, they basically came to work for me hmm. and um, that's a good idea on paper <laughs> but you know I've told people before if I could manage my mother I could manage anyone <laughs> dad I think dad that... was a whole lot easier but mom <laughs> uh, that she she brought everything all of her resources all of her angles she brought every one of them to work every day <laughs> so are you are you doing what you dreamed about doing as a young boy? No, I, I, I'm not. I, I was going to be a cowboy. I was going to be Cheyenne Bodie. Uh, really? this, yeah, that's who I was going to be when I was a, a kid. Uh, and I did. I liked Cheyenne Bodie. I didn't yeah. really care for the Lone I liked Ranger. the song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, I liked Paladin. Yeah, Paladin. But I, I never really liked uh, the Lone Ranger because when he would get in a fight, you know, I mean, he, he could chase down a stagecoach and jump on somebody and they would all tumble down the hill and, uh -huh. and what, but he never lost his hat. He what? never lost, but Cheyenne Bodie, man, I mean, he lost his hat, his hair was in his face. It was a great fight. And then he'd take <laughs> his shirt off and I, you want me to take my, I look like Cheyenne. No, I, I'll, I'll save that. We'll save that for the next episode. Save that for the next episode. <laughs> and he always got this beautiful woman and I'm thinking, hey. That was Clint Walker? Uh, oh my, Rick! Uh, I believe that's correct. Somebody will tell us if it's yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe that's so. Anyway, no, not really. But I discovered that I love this, yeah. and um, you know, just to fill that in a little bit, I didn't. I had not any idea what I was doing because I mean, they don't teach you to manage anything no. when you're trying to learn what happened with Alexander the Great, you know? And uh, so anyway, this uh, friend, an older friend that I had known through church, uh, was the chief of internal auditing for the Tandy Corporation, which is the parent company to Radio Shack mm -hmm. and so forth. Mm -hmm. And uh, he took early retirement, he and a buddy, and after a few months decided they didn't like being early retired. And so they decided they were going to go into business and that the buddy was going to be the front end of that and my friend Carol was going to be the back end and he's an accountant. And so he came to me and said, I need some office space. Uh, would you sublet some space? And so I did because I had space to lease. And uh, he, was, he was now on the other side of the wall and that guy took me under his wing and he taught me accounting he taught me business, he taught me bookkeeping, he taught me contracts, he taught me negotiation, he taught me personnel, he taught me legal stuff. Uh, 
And so he was my mentor, and he put me in touch then with uh, another guy that I never met. I read him a lot, but he was a mentor, and that's Peter Drucker. Huh. And so um, we rocked and rolled in the radio world for a while. We were early adopters to the digital world, the world of the Internet. Mm -hmm. And, uh, in fact, that to give you an idea of how quick we were on that uh, wagon, our web address is lifetime.org. I mean, that's how early we were to yeah, the game. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> then before long, everything was digitized. Yeah. And once that happened, we went from being kind of a nationwide ministry to an international ministry. And uh, as that happened, again, it's a long story, and I, I won't bore everybody with it, but I began to work overseas a lot, especially in Eastern Europe. But... Uh, uh, I was in um, Central Asia and the Caribbean and, of course, Canada and so forth and really enjoyed uh, doing that kind of work. All along have written and uh, taught. That's, but, that's my uh, next question is when did you discover you could write? Yeah, uh, probably in the uh, middle 80s uh -huh. is when I discovered. Well, I mean, I wrote a lot uh, in history. You know, with that degree, I had to write all the time. Yeah. But those were academic papers, and uh, I didn't really discover that I enjoyed writing until oh, eight, 1987 or so. And um, then in 2008, I transitioned the uh, ministry to the next generation of folks, and I moved home to write 80% uh, of the time. And? Here's some of your... Here, here they are. Shameless Commerce coming was, your way right now. Was this the first one? Uh, that's the first uh, book that I wrote when I after I moved home. It wasn't my first book to okay. write. Okay. I wrote several books while I was still running Lifetime Guarantee. Okay. But this is the first book that I wrote when I when I moved home, and this is a, uh, a novel, uh -huh. and it is uh, an adventure story, but underneath the adventure story is the battle between flesh and spirit that Galatians chapter 5 talks about. Is this influenced by your <clears throat> study of antiquities? Yes. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and then this is the second. Yeah, my, my history studies, uh, I learned far more about humanity yeah. and dynamic, human dynamic, mm -hmm. studying history than I ever did studying yeah. counseling. So these two, this is a set. This is a sequel. Yeah, this yeah, a the, sequel. The Battle for the Round Tower and is a sequel. And they get this on your website. They can. Wherever fine books are sold. Okay. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> and then you wrote Swagger. Yeah. Yeah, this is, uh, uh, don't remember when I, when this was published, maybe 2014-ish? Uh, no, 2020. And this is a, uh, this is a book on life, thought, and belief. Mm -hmm. And it's a series of essays. And I, I wrote this for uh, seven young friends all of whom I knew I needed to write to. Mm -hmm. Instead of writing to them individually, I wrote to them all at once. This is the result. And I thought, okay, uh, I'm going to, my target audience is, you know, these 20 to 25-year-olds. But uh, this book has, it, it's received a whole lot broader reading audience than I anticipated, which is great. Yeah. I love that. So uh, anyway. Yeah. And then the most recent is, is uh, this orange book, Rig Rigorous, Rigorous Grace. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and this is what we're uh, going to talk about today. Yeah. Okay. On the spiritual practices. Yep. 
So I read this book. I haven't read these, but I've read this book. And I am, can we set that over yeah, there? Yeah, sure. I am, in the book, you talk about how you have been criticized because people interpret these disciplines as legalism. Right. Or, I mean, and I read Richard Foster's book, gosh, 20 years ago, mm -hmm. maybe longer. And I, I uh, applied it to my life. Now, my motivation was to make God happy with me. Sure. And of course we know that doesn't work. And so you fast because you want something or you right. do, the, yeah. So what, what is the criticism for, because I, I think these things are vital for um, understanding the depth of our relationship with God. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, they're not only vital, they're essential. Okay. And um, I think the, <clears throat> I think the pushback on this, the, you know, the accusation that this is legalism is because if, you know, when you introduce the topic of a discipline or yes. of a practice or mm -hmm. something like this, then implicit within that idea is evaluation and assessment and um, failure and course correction and, and uh, those sorts of things. And uh, so people mistakenly believe that if you evaluate your performance, mm -hmm. that that means that you are uh, bringing or introducing legalism into your spiritual life. Yeah. And that's, that's simply a bad definition of legalism. Right. So uh, the, the idea behind legalism is that there are a, a list of rules, and not just these disciplines that are in this book. I mean, mm -hmm. there's a long list. Right. Uh, but that these rules that um, are applied to the Christian life, if you keep them, they'll do what you said just a minute ago. Yeah. They will um, uh, uh, earn you acceptance with God, or right. they'll earn you favor with God, or uh, they will get you back into God's good graces if you feel like you have fallen from God's good graces and, and so forth. That is legalism. Yeah. And the reason it's legalism, the reason that's a problem, is because... Uh, the presupposition is I can do something uh, either that the work of Christ did not do or that if I behave in this way I can improve upon the work of right. Christ and now we now we're running into the problem that Paul wrote about in Galatians right and you know Galatians is a short book but it is the angriest book in the Bible <laughs> because the whole idea is that the, the people that were at the church in this place, Galatia, uh, they had adopted the idea that if they did these things, then they could enhance the finished work of Christ. And, of course, uh, it's not the finished work of Christ is it can, if it can be improved upon, yeah, right? Yeah. And Paul doesn't just say, hey, you're misguided here. Uh, he's so angry. He says, uh, this is actually... Uh, not even the gospel. This this isn't a derivation of the gospel. It's a completely different idea. Yeah. And he, he really goes off for six chapters there. I can't think of any place in the Bible where somebody said, you foolish people. Right. Yeah, Yeah. but he does there. Yeah. And he says some other stuff. Yeah. So that's legalism. But 
uh, performance and evaluation of performance and assessment of your performance and uh, a, and guidelines for how you perform and what you should perform and so that's all over the Bible. Uh, so uh, so what you do as a believer is very important to God. It just doesn't do for you what Jesus did for you. It does something else for you. Exactly. And as I, as, as I started this book, I, I, I was afraid hmm. that it was going to be yeah. legalistic. And I was going to have to be told, you need to change your habits. You need sure. to. And I may need to change my habits anyway, but that's not what you did. Good. Yeah, that's not what you did. You Good. said you said these things. Most of them we do already. Mm -hmm. All of us talk to God. Mm -hmm. All of us have dialogue with God. Yeah. All of us enjoy solitude. Mm -hmm. All of us spend time um, getting informed through what the the authors of the Bible read wrote sure. right. because that's our foundation for understanding who God is. Yeah. Yeah. We need to study it. Yeah, and uh, while we do those things, though, Rick, it's important to understand that because these are essential practices, they must be part of our regular life. Mm -hmm. So like any practice, the more you do it, the better you get at it, mm -hmm. you know? And so the more you read scripture, which is one of the spiritual practices, yes. the better you're going to get at being able to digest what scripture is saying mm -hmm. and to, as the Bible would say, to properly handle the word of truth. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the more that you practice the discipline of prayer, the more comfortable you're gonna become with that. Yeah. Now, so let's talk about that just for a minute, for example. So uh, if you so think about uh, somebody that's an acquaintance of yours, uh, not a friend per se, but an acquaintance, mm -hmm. and um, somebody says, so you and Joe, uh, you're going to have to take a five-hour road trip together mm -hmm. somewhere. And so you and Joe get in the car, and there's probably apprehension on both of your parts as you figure out how to talk to one another. On the other hand, if somebody says, um, hey, you and your wife, or your, your husband, um, we need to take a five-hour road trip to wherever, uh, there's no apprehension about being in the car and having discussion with your spouse for five hours because you've practiced that. Mm -hmm. That's, that is exactly what prayer is. And so when we first begin to pray, it's awkward, etc. But as it becomes a practice, then our communication with our Heavenly Father becomes something that um, just flows for us. And that's, that's the point.